0: Welcome to Ag Vic Talk, keeping you up to date with information from Agriculture Victoria. Imagine farming on some of the most fragile land in the state and being able to say, after the worst rainfall figures on record, a mere 25% of your 250 mil average, that you harvested a viable crop from 50% of your farm seeded area and a further 25% was used as fodder. It's the remarkable story of Ron and Nick Hards who farm in the Millowa at Urara in the northwest corner of the state and key to their success has been passionately protecting their topsoil. Ron Hards joined me in the Ag Vic Talk studio and told me his journey into topsoil preservation began with switching to no-till farming. We had
1: a A fairly good long progression into no-till, we tried to reduce tillage for a start with chisel ploughs and prickle chains and and sowing on 14-inch spacings and, and that sort of thing. But only on cereals, we didn't venture into legumes at that stage. You know, it was something that not very many people had done. We started off there probably 30 years ago, uh, Drew doing that. We progressed through that and we did a lot of trips with the Landcare Group, did a lot of trips through into South Australia and Southern Victoria where they were using no-till with uh, knife points and press wheels. And We started to get itchy feet, if you like. We could see how they were doing it and you know, the reduction in bear and stuff like that. It became very attractive to us. So in about 2002, we actually changed our machinery. We thought it, there's no point in half doing it. We would change our machinery and, and make it work. And at the same time, we employed an agronomist. But yeah, that was the start. Um, yeah. We were sick of dust, bear fellows, erosion, and basically driving tractors, because you know when you're doing a reasonable amount of tillage in fellows, you uh, just finish one run and you've got to go back and start again. It really was extremely expensive and it wasn't getting us anywhere so we changed the no-till and that of course involves boom sprays and chemicals.
0: So did you see results pretty much overnight Ron or did you have to tough it out for a few seasons to start to see the benefit?
1: Yeah look we did uh, Drew it it took a while I think the soil's actually got to change with you you know it does certainly change becomes more friable it certainly absorbs moisture better you know you can see a thunderstorm go through and there'll be water all over the stubble within an hour or so it's all gone it's just soaked straight in and you don't have puddles in your paddock and you know water doesn't run like it used to it changed the composition of the soil and and certainly opened it up and it lets the moisture in right where it falls which is a great advantage I think and uh, I'd think probably three or four years we could see the difference you know we could see the crops were improving and our control of weeds and what have you was was getting better. I suppose we concentrated mainly on cereals for about seven or eight years. We had a little go at canola for three years. The inputs in this district are about the same as anywhere else but the outputs are certainly less so the profits weren't there with canola so we dropped that out of the system and moved into vetch and peas and chickpeas and lentils and what have you, to get the rotation a bit longer and, and open up our farming practices. Now We ter- also do a fair bit of hay, as I said.
0: So in terms <coughs> of the results that you are getting, Ron, you've had a couple of the driest seasons ever on record. And from what I understand, you were able to harvest a viable crop from about 50% of your seeded area and further 25% was used as fodder. Could have you imagined those mm-hmm. sorts of results... Thirty years ago before you changed your farming practices
1: no no drew I, I went through the 82 drought and know exactly what that sort of situation was and i think actually the drought last year was probably worse lower rainfall than what it was in 82 and we, we virtually got nothing in that year so a lot of the crop didn't even come up in 1982 i think we harvested a little bit of seed off one paddock whereas last year it was the driest on record as i said and one paddock actually went 1.4 tonnes to the hectare of wheat. We did harvest some barley and some oats, but only even patches on the paddock. You know, there was flats that didn't have anything on them. There was cover, but no viable crop. So, And then we used a lot of the, the vetch and, and, uh, and other products for fodder with the sheep. So certainly we had a little bit of drift on the paddocks. But um, they never actually scoured out. Uh, there was enough root matter under the vetch crop to actually hold the soil pretty well in place, even though there was some dust coming off it, it wasn't wasn't doing any great damage to the soils. So we're pretty happy with last year and that was the biggest test we'd ever had since we started no-till.
0: No-till seems to be the foundation of all of this, Ron, but you seem to have some fairly firm rules about how you run the property these days to make sure that you can deal with drought. Maintaining ground cover is obviously part of that whole equation there, but beyond that, you also have a fairly fixed plan. What are some of the key parts of the plan? Because I understand sowing early and to deal with wind is really important, isn't it?
1: Yeah, I think so. Look, we sit down in January with our agronomist and do a paddock plan, and that's after a visit straight after harvest. We certainly inspect all the paddocks then. But January's the main time we do the paddock plan and we endeavour to set out what we're going to do for the season uh, with that visit. You know, weed populations in paddocks count and previous crops and the rotations and and so forth. And we set up a system from January through the seasons through the year of what we're going to sow where in which paddocks and what the rotation is going to be. And if you've got a plan like that, it makes it fairly easy to make snap decisions at the time when you're going through the seeding process. You know where you're going and what you're doing. I think it helps knowing by having that plan and trying to stick as closely as we can to it. We did change a little bit in the drought. We actually dropped two or three paddocks off altogether and didn't sow them. Uh, And starting seeding, we, we usually start late March with sowing vetch and fodders and just work through without too many stops. You know, it makes it easy to run the the program, you know, when you've got a plan set out.
0: Ron, I understand one of the other things that you've done in terms of protecting your ground cover is actually just slow down on your property in terms of vehicle speed.
1: Yeah, I think any form of cultivation needs to be done at a reasonably slow pace. Uh, 10 to 12 k seems to be an ideal speed. You know, it doesn't uh, shatter the soil so much. And certainly, with no-till knife points and press wheels, you need to be going at the speed that you don't throw soil too far, because the soil carries the chemicals with it too, and you'll end up with chemicals on top of your seed in the next row, and that's that's something we we need to avoid. So that speed is around about where we sit all the time. You know, we've only got one pass a year with the uh, seeder, and uh, we normally sow between the rows as well. So. You know, try not to interfere with last year's stubble, so your crop actually comes up and is protected uh, between last year's stubble rows and with um, uh, no-till knife points and press wheels and with guidance that we've got these days, uh, you know, it makes it pretty easy to do that and I think that, that helps
0: too. I understand sheep are also part of your mix, but it's also, I imagine, a fine line in terms of how long you keep them on a paddock when things are marginal.
1: It is, Drew, and I think that's, that's one of the little mistakes we made last year. We, we left sheep in a paddock for probably only a couple of days too long, but it did make it a bit more vulnerable and uh, we lost a little bit of soil. But, you know, in normal terms, we run the sheep very conservatively over the stubble paddocks. Usually uh, we buy in lambs in September, October and run them through until autumn the following year. So they're not here consistently. But, you know, there is a fine line between stock and cropping and if you're trying to do what we're doing and, and we're cropping most of the farm, you've just got to make full use of your containment areas and that means a little bit of hand feeding in the containment areas. But I think it pays in the long run if you can contain and feed for a couple of months of the year and maintain all your ground cover in your paddocks and get the crops up and moving without any haircuts. With sand moving, I think you're far better off.
0: That requires very close monitoring, then Ron. If you're talking literally a couple of days, the difference between you know damage to the topsoil and getting the sheep off.
1: Well, it was uh, Drew. There was actually some quite good feed on a couple of sand rises, and the sheep insisted on staying down in the flats where, the, uh, obviously, the feed was sweeter. And I thought oh, I'll just give them a couple more days, and they'll clean those rises up, get the seeds off, and so forth. But they didn't. They decided where they want to go forth. I can't make them go where they don't and uh, yeah so it, it was a mistake but it's a mistake you learn by
0: ron in terms of weed control as part of your plan how does that work
1: look it's very important that's probably one of the main things with the rotations drew is to maintain your weed control grasses are a curse right throughout any cropping area and if you can keep those grasses under control in your legume phases and sometimes we might run two legumes in a row with peas and vetch or peas and lentils or whatever, however we do it, to get two grass control phases in your, uh, your legume crops before you go back into cereals. At the moment we've got a couple of paddocks that are under a four year break. So we'll have peas and then we might follow those with vetch and, and possibly then you, know, you might go to another, even two vetch, vetch crops in a row and then an oat and hay crop that you can spray out before you cut it and get the weeds in so you get your four year break in that way. So it's a fairly intensive system and monitoring is is a big thing. We probably monitor weeds in paddocks three or four times a year and make sure that we know what we've got. And it doesn't take very much grass in one year if you let it seed and let it go through and we do another crop. It's very quick to take over and so you've got to watch it very closely. make sure you've got it under control.
0: Ron, you touched on rotations a bit, but how important has it been in terms of getting nitrogen levels up since turning to no-till farming?
1: Yeah, it's just an added benefit, though, I think, from no-till where you all the legumes put in a really good dose of natural nitrogen into the soil and, uh, you know, you can certainly see the benefits in the following crops, especially when you go back to cereals. You know, I think it's invaluable, the fact that you can do that absolutely free just transitioning the nitrogen from the air into the soil it's great.
0: Ron your move to no-till farming and preserving your topsoil has been a big learning curve who's helped you in that process?
1: There's been several things as I said earlier we did a lot of trips into South Australia with the land care groups and looking at what farmers are doing in other places but in the last 20 years there's been a huge amount of research going on in the Mallee and Mali Sustainable Farming with the three state involved, uh, South Australia, Victoria and New South Wales has been extremely important that not only their research but their extension that we can see what we need to do and also with the help from Department of Ag Victoria and the CSIRO have been extremely important as well. I think those three organisations certainly need some accolades for getting us to where we've got.
0: Ron, you talk of losing topsoil as not only damaging for your productivity, but also for your own well-being. What do you mean by that?
1: Oh, look, there's nothing worse than sitting inside or in the shed on a windy day and watch your paddocks go past. It's pretty distressing. You know, I, I think the last year where we've seen dust storms go through the Mallee, particularly in, in our area here in the Millawa, and... Uh, Mildura was getting pretty fed up with it actually because normally your strongest winds are from the south and the south and, and the west and they're right in line for it so you know Mildura was blacked out a couple of days it do not do your image much good when you go to town next time you know tell them where you come from <laughs> so I think you know we, we owe it to everybody to make sure that we try and keep things where they are and um, you know you can't grow crops On soil if it's gone you know I think that's your most important most valuable asset that you've got is your soil and the top 10 centimetres is probably the most important part of your farm and and if it blows away well you know you start from scratch again and uh, it takes a long time to get that country back if ever if you take that topsoil off
0: Ron it sounds like you're doing a fabulous job with you and your son Nick keeping your topsoil in place Thank you ever so much for joining me in the Ag Vic Talk studio.
1: Thanks, Drew. Appreciate your time.
0: Thank you for listening to Ag Vic Talk. For more episodes in this series, find us and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. We would love to hear your feedback, so please leave a comment or rating and share this series with your friends and family. All information is accurate at the time of release. Contact Agriculture Victoria or your consultant before making any changes on farm. This podcast was developed by Agriculture Victoria, authorised by the